Welcome to the Unabridged Podcast. I'm Ashley. And this is Jen. Join us for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content to grow your TBR. Sign up for our newsletter to find out more about online book discussions and upcoming events. Find us on Patreon for extra unabridged content. Join us on Instagram and Facebook at Unabridged Pod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the Unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 253. Today we are talking about recommendations for short story collections, essay collections, or poetry collections. This is specific to the 2023 Unabridged Reading Challenge. So if you're participating in that, just remember that we want to give you these recs. There's tons of other options. I'm sure we'll do some bookish faves to share some other ideas, but we wanted to give some because I know for some of us, myself included, I don't often read collections, even though I enjoy them when I do it. So we just want to make sure we touched on that topic. Before we get started today, we just wanted to remind you that, as we have mentioned several times this season, we are recording for Patreon. We really appreciate your support. It means more than you know. If you'd like to join us on there, we do a bonus episode a month, and you can just go to patreon.com slash unabridgedpod, or there's a link from our website, unabridgedpod.com, and we appreciate your support so much. Before we get into our recommendations, we wanted to share our bookish check-in. Jen, what are you reading? So I am cheating a little bit. I technically have finished this, but I cannot help shouting out Talia Hibbert's Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute. This is Hibbert's YA debut. She is an author that Ashley, I know you and I both love, who writes adult romances, but this is her first YA romance. And it's actually through the Yoon's imprint. So Nicola and David Yoon's imprint, which made me happy because I love them. So this one is about, it's set in England and Hibbert is British. So she has a little part at the beginning with like a British to American glossary for her American readers, which I thought was funny. (laughs) And it is about two teenagers who had been friends through their childhood and then had a huge fight their freshman year the equivalent of their freshman year in England, and fell out and basically have been enemies ever since. So Celine Bangora is the first perspective we get. And she lives with her mom and her sister because her father left her family for another family. And she has had no contact with him since, which has been a source of great trauma for her. And because of those circumstances, she has tried really hard to be a source of strength for her mom and to show her mom that she's okay, even though this trauma happened with her dad. And her dream is to become an attorney, which is her father's profession. And she wants to go into the same field that her dad does and basically show him that she has been a success despite him abandoning her and her sister. So the boy who was her friend is Bradley Graham, and he is super popular. He plays soccer, football, and he is really beautiful. And because of the way their friendship ended, Celine just really hates him. She is not as popular. She's very quirky. She is TikTok famous. She makes TikToks about conspiracy theories. But in her, their high school, she is definitely the one who is sort of on the outside. And she feels like he abandoned her in order to fit in more with the popular kids and really felt betrayed when that happened. Okay, so the way they 
come back in contact with each other is there is this competition run by a famous attorney in England who is also kind of a celebrity. And she has this outdoor experience that people who are interested in working with her have to go through and they get scored. And then the top scorers get like an internship with her. And they also get this amazing scholarship. So Celine and Bradley both end up competing for this competition. They have to work together and, you know, things follow from there. I really appreciate so much about Hibbert's writing always. I love the way she develops characters. And I think she also does a really good job of dealing with issues that people in real life deal with. So Hibbert at the end has this note about how she is OCD and Brad is dealing with being OCD as well. And that's something that Celine knows about. And when they were younger, she helped him work through But it is something that has come back, you know, when you're outdoors and cannot control your situation, that is something that comes to the forefront, especially in times of stress. So we see him trying to work through some of those OCD issues. And the way Hibbert does it is just so sensitive and so matter of fact. And I just always appreciate her writing. So I was so pleased with Hibbert's YA debut, and I definitely recommend it to anyone who loves either her adult work or you just love a good YA romance. So that is Talia Hibbert's Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute. Oh, Jen, I cannot wait to read that one. I was so excited to see that she was dipping her toe in YA, and I love, I didn't know anything about it except that, of course, I wanted to read it because I love her, but that sounds amazing. Yeah, you are going, oh my gosh, you're going to love it. And I will say I did the print, but I would love to try the audio. Um, so That's, yeah, maybe yeah. you can try that and see how Yeah, it I'll have to look for it. I'm going to add that to my TBR, and I, I have done both for her and I love both. Yeah. How about you? What are you reading? So one of the things I'm reading right now is Kelly Barnhill's The Ogress and the Orphans. And listeners will know because we I drug Jen into reading <laughs> The Girl Who Drank the I Moon. I went willingly. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I had been raving about it for a long time and she still hadn't read it. So I snuck that into our book club pick and I know that some of you read along with us for that she does write it's more like upper children's literature than it is even middle grade I would say and this one it has a lot of the same things that I really love about the girl who drank the moon so in this you have the ogress who lives outside of the town and then you have the town of stone in the glen and she, the ogress, ogresses live for, and ogres live for thousands and thousands of years in the book. So she has lived a long life, but she is really looking to have a home and be part of the community. And so she has this desire to belong, but she's also really shy and she only comes out at night. And so she has become, she's befriended the crows who are near her. And over time, these other animals come as well. So she's building this house. She's building her own community. But she has a longing to belong with others. And so she's got the crows. Over time, there's lambs. There's this cute dog called Dog. And so animals come along. But again, she doesn't have much connection with the people in the village. The people in the village have had, in the past, people remember this, that there was a lot of community and people had, they looked out for each other and everyone had a really positive experience. And then 
there was a series of fires, the library burned to the ground, and afterwards, the community becomes a place that is fearful and suspicious, and people start kind of turning against each other. And as all of that is happening, a mayor comes in, a a person comes into town who quickly becomes the mayor, and he gives these great speeches, and everyone loves him, but there's also kind of this you feel as the reader, hypnotic component of he's very charismatic. Meanwhile, he is not only not solving any of the problems, but is also kind of sowing the seeds of distrust and suspicion and some of the things that are plaguing the town. And so those two things are happening. And in the town, there is an orphanage. And there are two people who are elderly at this point who have been caring for the orphanage for a very, very long time. And in the matron's family, her family cared for it even before her. So they, her family's always been the one to take care of it. And in the past, it was a really flourishing community. And over time, the funding from the community has dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. And so they have less and less to work with. And they are trying to make do, but they're at the point where essentially there's no support from the community. And so it's very, very difficult for them. They have 15 children and living there. So it's very difficult for them to even make ends meet. All of those things are kind of going on at the beginning. And I'm about halfway. I am really loving it. But I would say I was so enchanted by The Girl Who Drank the Moon. And I I love this one, but I will say, you know how it is. When you have an author you love and the bar is really high, I think I like the premise of this story a lot and I like the messaging in it, but I'm not enjoying the reading as much as I did mm-hmm. the first one of hers that I read. Um, but I'm still here for it and I plan to read more of her backlist. So again, that one is... The Ogress and the Orphans, and it's by Kelly Barnhill. And it is relatively lengthy, but I do think it's totally appropriate for, like, My Daughter's Eight, and I would read with her um, for this one as far as – I haven't quite finished yet, but I do think it – you know, like I said before, Upper Elementary is fine. Her books are not – this one's not short, but it is a story that's written for kids who could read it under the age of 12. I think a lot of what I'm looking for these days is books that – have, you know, length and substance, but then that my daughter can read um, Mm -hmm. and feel comfortable with the content. And I find that, as a lot of you who are looking for that, that is kind of tricky sometimes to find as kids are getting into middle grade, because there's some things that they're just not quite ready content wise, like my daughter's pretty sensitive. So there's stuff that she's not ready for content wise. So that's part of why I was reading this one. So that's where I am with that. Oh, that sounds good. I I know what you mean about like loving the first thing you read by an author. And then if they're hitting some of the same notes, I do feel like it can't quite live up to the first one, even if you still thoroughly enjoy it and would recommend it. And yeah. Yeah. So today we are talking about, again, this is a category from the reading challenge. And essentially what we, when we were looking at reading challenge categories, something that we thought we wanted to include is just these are genres that a lot of us who read a lot of fiction and even nonfiction, we're not often reading collections. So we wanted to be pretty broad so that you could really choose a lot of different things. But we wanted to give recommendations. And we also wanted to just point toward collections in general um, as being something that we wanted to touch on this Mm -hmm. year. I mean, I think these can be really nice. I will say I don't always gravitate toward them. But I'm always glad when I have one of these going on, it can be so nice to have something to just dip in and out of but not feel like you have to read front to back. 
especially when like the one I'm going to talk about is an enjoyable read, but it is dealing with heavier topics. So breaking that up was nice as I was reading through some other things. So yeah, I think it's and I think this is one of those. Yeah, just branching out areas. If you don't do a lot of this, try it, you might find it something you like, or you may be like, yeah, I checked that off my checklist, and I'm never going back. (laughs) which is okay absolutely (laughs) and that's what I am not touching on poetry today but I am a huge fan longtime listeners and people who read our blog know I am a huge fan of reading poetry and I'm always so glad when I do it so I'm not going to touch on that today but I will do a bookish fave and try to do some recommendations Mm -hmm. of poets who I'm always happy to read and whose work I have really enjoyed as a collection Jen what is your recommendation today So I'm going to highlight one book by this person, but I also just want to talk about her in general. So the book I'm officially recommending is Kelly Jensen's Don't Call Me Crazy, 33 Voices Start the Conversation About Mental Health. And Kelly Jensen is one of those people I follow everywhere she is. I started back when she published a blog called Stacked with another librarian, and now she writes for Book Riot. And she has been one of the voices who has really been speaking out about book bannings. So if you are interested in learning more about the efforts to ban books across the country, following Kelly Jensen on Twitter is a great place and on Book Riot, but she links to everything on Twitter and has additional posts there. She is just really documenting the strategies that people are using to try to ban books across the country. Okay, so with all that said, Jensen edits this collection, and this is one of three collections she edited. The other two are Here We Are, Feminism for the Real World, and Body Talk, 37 Voices Explore Our Radical Anatomy. So she is dealing here with things that teenagers have questions about, are dealing with every day. And she does such a good job in these edited collections, sort of setting the stage for then people who can share their own experiences. And the thing that I like about that is there's such representation. So these 33 voices who are writing about their mental health journeys, each cover a different topic. So I feel like the chance that if you have a teenager who is working through some of these issues on their own, them finding someone to connect to is is there's a high probability there. I also just I want to read just a few of the people who she has writing and contributing to this collection. So she has YA authors like Libba Bray and V.E. Schwab and Adam Silvera. She has some celebrities. Kristen Bell is in here. Um, so she has this array of people either that teenagers might be familiar with or people who publish other YA books so that they find a voice they connect with. I think this is a great way to share, to get teenagers started on a backlist that they may connect with. Because I know when I read all three of those, um, Schwab and Bray and Silvera, in their YA fiction, they often deal with issues of mental health there as well. So it's it can be this nice little, almost like a tasting, right? You get this little glimpse of an author's work and you connect with it and then teenagers want to find more. So I think that is another great strategy for people who are working with teens. These are ways that they can dip into something and then find someone they really connect with. And yeah, I just thoroughly enjoy the reading experience. I know this is perhaps superficial, but the design of the books of all three of these collections is really appealing. And I think that talking about mental health journeys in a really practical, factual way 
as just something that is a part of your life is empowering. So I felt that throughout this essay collection. The essays cover different styles. She incorporates some graphic kind of memoirs. So there are some illustrations. And yeah, I just love all of these collections. I will say all three of them have been banned across the country as well for a variety of reasons. So yeah, Jensen, you know, the irony that she's highlighting book banning and her own collections are being banned is not lost on anyone. But I think these are important collections to share with teenagers and to give them the opportunity to read. So this one again is Kelly Jensen's Don't Call Me Crazy. I should say don't is in parentheses, um, but don't call me crazy. 33 voices start the conversation about mental health. And I highly recommend that one. Wow, Jen, I love Jensen, but I have not read any of her collections. And so I definitely want to add those to my TBR too. Yeah, I think you would really appreciate them. And again, most of the essays are quite short. So that ability to not feel like you're taking on a whole nonfiction piece, if, if you or you know, your kid or your student or whatever, if you don't read a lot of nonfiction, this can be a nice way to branch out into that as well. Yeah. Yeah, And I love what you said about the authors. I think that's a great bit of advice there because I do feel like so often we see students who find an author that they absolutely love. I'm going through this with my own child, speaking of trying to find books for her, where she has one author that she is just loving and fortunately there are a lot of books in that series but eventually that series is going to run out and so it is like helping kids trust another author to make the change and to try to expand their reading can be challenging and it is so nice when they can sample something and then realize they like their style and then take you know take up their readings from there Mm -hmm. how about you ashley what what are you recommending here So this one, I this was one I just stumbled across on Instagram. And as soon as I saw the title, I was like, I want to read that book. And this is Jesse Klein's I'll Show Myself Out, Essays on Midlife and Motherhood. And I didn't know anything about this one, but I loved I loved the title. I loved Mm -hmm. the idea of I'll show myself out. I I'm just gonna say that I've had several situations recently where I'm in a new place. I'm trying to establish, you know, new partnerships, you know, I have to find a new doctor and I have to find a new place to get my hair cut and stuff like that. And I have been trying to transfer records and things like that. And there are a few times where people just don't want to do the thing. And then I feel like I'm getting increasingly distraught and frustrated. And I'm I'm imagining the person on the other end of the phone is like, oh my gosh, this woman's hysterical. <laughs> and then I keep thinking how interesting it is that like I am getting backed into a place where I'm a very rational person. But I am hitting a point where I feel like I have to, like, be hysterical to get a very logical thing done. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that that title just really resonated <laughs> because I was like, yes, I will show myself out. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I think I saw it on Instagram and I was like, oh, I really want to read that. And I don't think I knew at the time it was about motherhood specifically or midlife. But let me tell you, since I am a mother in midlife, all of that was very resonant. <laughs> so this one, the premise is seeing motherhood as a hero's journey. And she just talks about the traditional archetypes within the hero's journey and going through those steps, which of course are traditionally men and certainly men not taking care of their children. And so she starts the book by or the collection by really breaking down her own attitudes toward motherhood 
And she talks about things like mommy blogs and kind of the disdain with which she views that. And I mean, again, all of that was very resonant for me. And I feel guilty to say that, but I think that that is the truth, that I have this attitude that she was talking about that's just, you know, a kind of a subconscious level of just not taking some of those things that are an integral part of being a mom seriously and being dismissive of them. And like, why do we do that? And like, why don't we see mothers as heroes and their journey as being that you're moving along this this storyline, basically. Um, and then it could be seen as heroic. And so that's really the premise. But she also breaks down how, even though she knew the premise of the book, how difficult it was for her to write and to get going on it. And so it is a collection of essays. And they are laugh out loud hilarious. Um, she is, she does write for various TV shows and things. So like she is a writer outside of this. And you can see that in her, you know, she's just, I mean, great one liners, really funny, but then also heart wrenching. I mean, there were parts that I found very moving. And I think that I, I just wanted to share one quote. This was about car seats. Oh, no. <laughs> and how that whole essay was just about like how insane they are. I mean, car- again, people who are parents, I felt like, I mean, we went to a fire, like a lot of people, we went to a fire station and we had them installed. And I felt when they showed me that there was no way I could replicate that installation. So then I was like, I can never remove this from uh-huh. my car. Like, this is it. It has been locked in, in life for life. It has been touched by the hand of gold and I'm never going to touch it because I will damage it. And then my child will not survive. But they will if the person put it. I mean, it's, it is it is crazy. I mean, when you really get into kind of the technicalities of some of these things, it puts us in a place where we start to feel that this one thing is the only safe thing. And we don't seem to have any power over that. And so she was talking about how her child got to a point where he could not deal with the car seat. Fortunately, I will say I did not have this experience, but I did have friends who did and have seen it happen. Where, you know, it's a 20-minute screaming fight where the child is tantruming, they're throwing themselves around, and the last thing you're able to do is get them strapped into this seat. And so she says, ever since I became a mother, his safety and my sanity have had trouble existing at the same time. Obviously, he must be safe. But is he truly safe if his mother doesn't feel sane? No. But can I ever feel sane if he's not completely safe? Mm. No. Ugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like there were just so many times where she's like, ugh. <laughs> and I, I just, that's just one example. But there were a lot of things like that where she's taken this thing that is a relatively mundane or certainly just daily part of life, but then exploring why that is so cumbersome for the people involved and how heavy that is. And so I just really loved that. And each each essay stands alone, I felt like, but also works into this larger collective experience of what it looks like to be a mother or to be in, mid, in midlife as a woman. There's both parts I think are really explored there. Um, but I found things just really impactful. And one of the ones that really stood out to me was about bad news and learning or maybe not learning how to navigate bad news with little kids and how hard it is that the world while we want it to be beautiful and good, also has these really horrific things that happen and that we have to figure out not only how to navigate it for ourselves, but also how to present that to small people in our lives. And I just 
felt, I felt like that was really powerful. And then she also got on this thing about, there's another essay about little books. And this was a really interesting tip. It's something I haven't tried, but our family's had a lot of transitions. And I do think it's useful. Basically, she was really stressed because they were going to move to a different house and her toddler had a lot of trouble with change. And the pediatrician suggested that she make a very simple book and show it to the child just, you know, two days before they were going. And the book would just very simply and in short words say, you know, this is what is happening. This is what will change. This is what will stay the same. And she just describes that whole process, which again, hilarious, but also resonant, and how she wants to tell 10,000 things and <laughs> show all this nuance. And the pediatrician is like, no, <laughs> that is not what I meant. Uh-huh. You know, it needs to have like 10 words, and those words need to say these three things. And so she just got to where that became part of what she did with her child. And I thought that was such an interesting way of handling it's almost like filtering down we have all these like really complex ideas as adults and then just like trying to break that down into something really simple and straightforward for kids so I felt like there were practical tips in there that I appreciated but there was also this overarching idea that maybe reframing our experiences of midlife reframing our experiences of motherhood could potentially change the way that those stories play out that I thought was really powerful So again, that is Jesse Klein's I'll Show Myself Out, Essays on Midlife and Motherhood, and I thought it was fantastic. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good. I really want to get it now. I just have to say two things. So you were talking about being hysterical at the beginning, and I just, let's revisit the roots of that word, right? That it comes from the same root as the uterus, and think about all that goes along with that, especially when you're thinking about an essay collection like this, number one. Number two, the car seat thing. I have this vivid memory of having to take the school van at the school where we both taught, and I had to pick up my kids, so I had to move the car seat in and out of the school van, and at one point, my assistant principal was sitting in the car seat because we had to get it out of the vehicle because <laughs> I had attached it to... Anyway, I, I was yes. like, the trauma of that and the celebration when I didn't have to use it anymore. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It wasn't disempowering. I mean, I think... <laughs> Like, I've had the exact same thing where, like, my husband's out of town. I've got to get the car seat out of the car. I realized we didn't move it. And then I'm, like, YouTubing and watching the YouTube oh video gosh. over and over again. And I'm, like, how can I not remove this from the vehicle? <laughs> I could not. And finally, it was, like, you know, the 50th time watching it, something they never said, but that there was this little release that I finally saw the person's hand do. I'm, I'm probably watching in slow-mo at this point. And I'm, like, oh, that is the thing. <laughs> and, of course, the second I do that – it pops it works, and right. yes, but I just, but same where I thank you for saying that about the hysteria and just, I think the way that those narratives that are cultural narratives are running so deeply within mm-hmm. us, within our conditioning and within the larger society that I just am, I just am so valuing right now, all the women out there who are breaking down those narratives mm-hmm. and saying, let's reexamine this. Yep. And just looking, I mean, again, it's not, she's not painting a pretty picture of herself. It's just a realistic picture. It's a realistic picture of what all the complexities look like instead of this simplification and really prettying up. I mean, again, I think about, especially with social media now, like the prettying up of something that is not just a beautiful process. It's not. 
And it, and again, we're diminishing women by saying it is. Mm-hmm. And, and instead of thinking that we're like lifting them up, I mean, that's not true. But again, that goes back to that narrative of like, oh, but we love mothers and we value them. And aren't they so beautiful? And look at what they're doing. But like, that's not the reality. Right. <laughs> In fact, it's pretty gross a lot of times. And so, you know, just breaking that down, I think is really powerful. Mm-hmm. I loved yes. it. I did listen on audio. I, I will probably get the print as well because I really appreciated it. But um, she reads it herself. So I oh, thought nice. that was really fun. Mm-hmm. That sounds so good. So we would love to hear from you all. If you are reading collections, please let us know. We would be happy to shout those out on the pod um, and just share other recommendations. Because, again, this is an area like like this one. I mean, I that will be one of my favorite books of the year probably. But mm-hmm. I never would have read it if I hadn't just kind of stumbled upon it. So it's a good reminder that – it's nice to step outside of your normal reading sometimes. Yeah. We wanted to end today with our new segment. We are talking about flashback, and our flashback today is three years ago in May. Jen, what's something from three years ago? Well, I thought I'd revisit what we were doing with the podcast three years ago in May, and that was when we were still releasing four episodes a month. Ooh. Yeah. I thought this was really interesting. So our book club pick was American Royals, which feels like forever ago that I read that book, but it was only three years ago. We talked about thrillers you can't put down. And then we were doing interviews then. So I was just like taken back to being on Zoom so much and then doing the Zoom interviews. So we did two that month. We did one with Tony from Bookstagram about bookish communities. So that's at Read with Tony, which if you're not following her account, she still leaves these amazing buddy reads. And then we also interviewed Brandy Ferner about her book, Adult Conversation, which really resonates with the essays that you were just talking about, Ashley, because that book is fiction, but it is very much dealing with motherhood and with the humor and tragedy that is part of every day of mothering. (laughs) She has two kids, right? One's a toddler in the book. I'm trying to remember. One's a toddler and one's a little older. Anyway. Yeah, so we talked with Brandy Ferner on that interview about her book. And yeah, so it just, it, it was really funny thinking about what was happening three years ago. How about you? What's your flashback, Ashley? Well, I went back in my photos. And so this was 2020. Like Jen said, it feels like it was a very long time ago. But this was the beginning of the pandemic. So we had started staying home just a couple months prior. So when I looked back in my photos, I was like, oh my gosh, we did face paint like every day. And so there were all these pictures of my kids with various painted faces, and some of which I could tell I had done and some of which I could tell they had done. And then we also got into a lot of crafts and science projects. And so there was just, there were just all these pictures of them with bubbles and them with shaving cream paint and them with, you know, so I was like, Oh, yeah, that was quite Mm -hmm. the challenging season. And they you can't tell from the smiling faces. Everything looks so fun. But as I was scrolling through, I was remembering that at least for us as adults, it was extremely challenging. Yeah, it was interesting to look back on it uh, and be a little bit removed because they do look really happy in all of the photos. And I'm like, maybe they were having the time of their lives, you know, their parents are home and they it's everything's boiled down to this very small experience and you know that that might be what they remember actually Mm -hmm. for a lot of that so but anyway yeah it's interesting interesting. well 
Thank you all for listening. Let us know. We would love to hear what you were up to three years ago in May and what if you were also experiencing pandemic stuff, what that how your life had changed at that point. And we also would love to hear, like I said before, about any collections, again, poetry, short stories. So we really were both focused on essays. But you know, any kind of collection works for this. And we would love to hear what you're reading. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. Unabridged.